Hi everyone, welcome to Peanut Butter Jenny Time. My name is Jenny Tian. I chat to a different guest every single week, and today my guest is Andrew Hamilton. Hello, aka Jail Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I knew that the show was called Peanut Butter Jenny Time. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I never told you. It was, like, it was literally like in the email. It was just like subject line podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. Oh, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> Lots of um, polling on Instagram. Yeah, and DMs. What, what were the other options? Oh, there was um, there was what was it? Jenny from the Walk got really oh, close. Oh shit, that's also great. <laughs> it was, but then I was like, what if people think I'm going to talk about food? <laughs> <laughs> nah, peanut butter Jenny time. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, absolutely love it. Um, so for the people who have never heard of you before, would you like to do a brief introduction of who you are? Sure. So I am a Sydney-based stand-up comedian that spent four months in maximum security prison in Remand in 2021. Remand is basically uh, jail when you haven't been sentenced yet they they put you in there because they think that you're probably going to spend a fair bit of time in there so they throw you in there and then I eventually got granted bail to my parents place and then uh, I started doing stand-up comedy Uh, but I was in there for the large commercial supply of magic mushrooms and acid and MDMA so psychedelic drugs and, and you were like the biggest in like New South Wales. I was a big, yeah. I was a big supplier of mushrooms, not the other ones, but certainly mushrooms. I was um, at the upper end. Uh, I often have referred myself as the mushroom king of Sydney because yeah. <laughs> whenever I spoke to anyone who had had magic mushrooms that came in capsules, there was always, almost always, a way to link it back somehow to me. Oh, um, you were like you're like um the degrees of separation from um yeah who's that dude again that celebrity Kevin Bacon Kevin yeah. Bacon but it's it you. six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> but it was like the two degrees of magic mushrooms right <laughs> I love that so there was always someone would be like oh no I didn't wouldn't have got it from you and I'm like who'd you get it from and then they'd say someone I'm like yeah he gets it from me um oh. so that was the case and I was selling mushrooms for about fifteen years and then uh, yes got caught by the organized crime squad and sent to prison and then. And uh, that changed my life because sitting in there, I had a chance to reflect on what I really had wanted to do with my life. And weirdly, the answer was stand-up comedy. Um, That's so odd because you were working into like backtrack and go even before prison. Also... Love that you clarified what you were in prison for. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, oh, shit, I better mention this. Yeah, people are like, oh, my God, she's talking to a pedophile. <laughs> what did he do? So I just thought, yeah, I better mention yeah. that real quick just so we can get all on board. They're like, oh, usually when I mention that, like, oh, okay, so it wasn't a real crime. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like before, even before prison and everything, you were working in like PR, right? Yes. And you were like, you were like good. You were like a clean kind of like just an off dude who worked at an office. Yeah. And I was like, I was winning awards. I was like, uh, (laughs) even then, uh, even back in those days, getting nominated and winning awards. I was, I was nominated for, uh, I won um, the B&T 30 under 30 awards when I was 27. Oh my gosh. Jesus. um, In the marketing and PR category. And so I was doing that and doing, I was a director at one of the world's biggest PR agencies at 27 but in the evenings i'd be selling drugs i was selling magic mushrooms and then like how did you actually get into that because like you you could have just cruised in pr for Mm. like ages and you were doing clearly quite well at it doing great but uh i i'd fallen in love with mushrooms in thailand (laughs) and came home and told my mate how good they were and he started growing them and next thing you know we were growing them for friends just as kind of a side hustle and 
they were so hard to find that I just loved to be the person that could hook people up because people would have such a positive experience on mushrooms to be going on camping trips and to music festivals and whatever. So I felt like I was uh, helping to facilitate a really positive experience for a lot of people and I love them myself. So it just seemed like a no brainer. And so I would work during the day doing my, my day job and then be moonlighting as a mushroom supplier uh, for years and years and years. Yeah. And then your system also wasn't just like, hey, I'm dealing to whoever, like random stuff. It was like friends, right? It was, like you had to know it was a, Yeah, exactly. Everyone had to be vouched for. So um, yeah. everyone had to be accountable for whoever they, they referred to me. And so I had this small network, which just slowly over years and years of me doing uh, having good quality stuff and fantastic customer service <laughs> it built up yeah, you're in PR yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know your stuff and so um, what was first was just like really good expendable money for me to go out and dine out and waste on cocaine and, and gambling and, and, and all this kind of stuff over the years ended up being like really stupid amounts of money and then I opened a pizza restaurant in King's Cross because I, <laughs> this is, I find this the funniest part. <laughs> so committed to this that you opened an entire restaurant. I opened a restaurant just to kind of tr- help clean some of the money, and I in, I invented the pizza for dogs. We oh had, yeah, we had the dog pizza on the menu, which was like a nutritionally approved small uh, flour tortilla with nutritionally approved dog. Um, uh, ingredients like we had kangaroo bacon and we had instead of tomato sauce base which is not that great for dogs because of the sodium level we had a sweet potato mash base and so people would come and they'd spend maybe like 70 or 80 dollars on the human menu for a couple of pizzas but then they'd spend a hundred dollars on the dog pizza menu for like their dogs this actually sounds like you got quite invested in that actual business as well you still want your money laundering operation to be a good business, you know? I still had pride in anything yeah. I was involved in. Your reputation was on the line. Because I thought, you know, when you money launder, it's just like, ah, oh, whatever, as long as it seems legit. But you're like, no, I'm, I'm no product If it's going to have my name on it, I want it to be quality. <laughs> right? And so it was crazy. We were in like Good Food in the Sydney Morning Herald and we were in oh like... Oh my gosh, da- and you again, the- again, got to yeah. an actual level of achievement. My PR, yeah. yeah. My PR skills were, were there because we were in all the news because of the dog, the dog uh, pizzas and the fact that we were a dog-friendly restaurant. Um, it was such a good gimmick for, for news coverage. And like the That's photo, so people funny. would want to come... Like Instagram was blowing up because everyone wanted to come and tag their, their their dog having a pizza. Oh my gosh! So then, did you ever get to a point where you were like, "Oh, this might be so good that I don't need to do the totally"? That was a plan. I was going to oh, open. Yeah. I was gonna open three or four of these restaurants and then retire from crime. That was my that was my vision. That was my yeah. plan. Unfortunately, we never quite got there. <laughs> but I, I think having chatted to so many other guys that been involved with drugs and crime. Um, I think it was a bit of a pipe dream. You always, no matter how much more money you're making, just greed kicks in. And I think I would have just, I would have come up with an excuse in my head for why I had to keep selling drugs. I don't think. Really? I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll never know what would have happened, but I, I could easily see myself just continuing to do it out of out of sheer greed because your mind just starts to get warped and you, and you think you're never going to get it caught, you think you're too clever, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, as much as I had this vision in my head that I would have opened three or four restaurants and then quit the game, yeah, <laughs> do you think, maybe not. Yeah, do you think part of that is also because you had so much like success and achievement at such a 
relatively young age as mm. well because you're like in your 20s and everything you, you work in a pr firm you get nominated for this stuff you win awards you open up a, a money laundering restaurant that happens to get featured and you know put in the mm. news and everything do you think that gave you like a lot of confidence growing up um i think i i did feel like i was good at basically anything that i put my mind to yeah um but that being said i don't know if that was the same mindset i had for selling drugs mm. i think I, I think with that you still deep down you know that at any moment it could all come crashing down okay i think i was in this false sense of delusion because I got away with it for so long that I was never going to get caught. But then I also thought if I looked after all my customers, there's no reason why they would screw me over. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, look, the, the way it went down was uh, I'm pretty philosophical about it because um, now I, I get to do stand-up comedy and I'm so happy with my life and, and I really wasn't that happy at the, at the end of it when I got arrested because I was so fat and unhealthy <laughs> and I was yeah. like doing so much like cocaine and I thought you were um, gonna say you were unhappy you were arrested because you had to go to jail oh, like it's no, I, was I was unhappy before that unhealthy. I was also unhappy when they arrested me <laughs> yeah I wasn't like yes boys finally <laughs> where you been <laughs> took your time down squad. <laughs> no that also sucked but the time the period before that was also not great I think yeah, um, yeah I was I was not happy. I didn't like who I was as well. I think. What um, was what were the aspects that you didn't like about yourself? I mean, physically, I was like fat. Like I couldn't like sexually, I couldn't get it up because I was on cocaine all the time. Mm. Um, okay. I also like uh, you, you're constantly having to lie to fr like friends and family about where your money comes from. So you live this this fake life, and after a time, and you're around fake people that are just sucking up to you for you know the benefits of um, hanging around with the drug dealer. And so at some point it takes its toll just living this fake existence. Mm. And so I found it chipping away at my soul a bit into the point where, yeah, I just would, I'd look in the mirror and I didn't like the man that I'd become. But and then you were also, did you feel you're like, oh shit, but I'm so far in this, like, what could I do? Oh, totally. You're a slave to it at that point. Like I was a slave to my own cocaine addiction and you're almost like a slave to your own, uh, drug dealing because you're like i i'm so far in this i don't know how to stop like mm. i don't know how to i don't know how to give it up because yeah. the mo you get addicted to the money you get addicted to lifestyle i got it i was just addicted to being the guy that was the hookup with drugs i, I enjoyed being that guy so mm. there was all this stuff that it, i would have kept doing until i either died of a heart attack from cocaine or um or what happened which was um i got caught so yeah. it ended up in, in many ways getting arrested saved my life because mm. Yeah, I had to go through this um, shitty time in prison, but it gave me time to just reflect on what kind of guy I wanted to be. And um, that version was a totally different version of myself than, than what I had become. And so I had to start making steps to, to change that. And one of those was, um, you know, to start um, exercising. Two was to just be an honest person, to start like be being able to just tell the truth in all things. Again, being a man of your word was something which um, is important in prison because if you say things and you don't follow through with it, you're going yeah. <laughs> to suffer the consequences. Yeah. And then the other thing was just um, following on up on and, and following through with things that I dreamed about and and that was stand-up so as soon as I got out and my bail rules were relaxed so at first when I got out 
I was under house arrest and I couldn't leave my parents' house unless I was in the company of my mum and dad. Yeah. And so I could only go to the grocery store and a couple of other things as long as I went with my mum or dad. Um, I did funnily... <laughs> it's like back to being a kid. Again. Yeah, it was like that. I mean, it was funny. I went on a Tinder date with my oh. parents. Oh, with your parents? Yeah. Oh my God, how did that go? That was funny because I, I chatted this girl on Tinder and I'd said, look, we can meet up, but here's the thing. <laughs> I have to come with my parents <laughs> and I'm, I'm on bail from prison and I may be going back. And she still agreed to go on the date. Oh my so gosh. so like, what does your bio look like? Is it, do you mention the prison thing in your <clears throat> Tinder? Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, I have. Most of the time I do. I think there's been times when I've taken it off just to see whether, <laughs> whether there's that's a difference. just scaring everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but most of the time I do mention it. Yeah, and do you think that helps? Uh, mixed bag because sometimes it can attract the the, the wrong people, right? Yeah. Um, like just crazy chicks or chicks that are like, oh, this is on my bucket list to oh, uh, okay. yeah. root a guy who's been in jail. Yeah, okay. And then but other box. times I think, um, look, I, th- I, I think it's um, pretty unreasonable to go on like four or five dates with someone and then mention it. But I think mm. if, if you're having a good conversation on a dating app with someone, then mention it um, yeah. um, once you've chatted to them for a little bit of a little while and there's a bit of chemistry i think Mm. that that's totally fine but um i think it's quite manipulative if you go on three or four dates with someone and they really like you and then to be like hey guess what i've been to prison because that that was the same as it was when i was a drug dealer right i'd go on dates and then like maybe like a a bunch of dates in i'd mention well this is this is who i am this is my life Mm. and that point it's hard for someone to really have an objective view if if they've already started to really like you yeah there's an emotional there's a different there's a different there's a different um reaction than if you had said straight up but obviously yeah. you're not going to say to someone you've had it for two seconds like I guess what I'm a fucking drug dealer <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's right? one way to get caught yeah, yeah. but um, there's a balance there so okay and then when you were on the date with your parents I'm just curious were they, did they have to like sit at your table no or so we okay? went to the pub and they just sat at the other end of the pub so as oh, long as they were in okay. the same they were right. same building as me it yeah. was totally fine okay I'm imagining they're like right up there listening to your no thank god but then my dad had to go home early because he'd hurt his back. So my mum was just sitting in the corner of the pub on her own. And I felt terrible because I'm there chatting to this girl and my mum's just on her phone in the corner of the pub. So I said to the girl, I go, look, can we go hang out with my mum? So then we went and hung out with my mum. And then that turned out to be a backfire because my mum ended up being funnier than me. <laughs> so I'm like, mum, you're cutting my grass here. Like, what are you doing? Like, Shut the fuck up. I want, yeah. I want to date your mum now. <laughs> right? Well, this so, so did she, you know. She, so after that, uh, luckily the girl started ca- coming over and hanging out at my at just at the, my parents' place because it was a lot easier than having to bring my, like my parents out who were both in their like mid seventies, and uh, but yeah, luckily not too long after that my bail rules got relaxed so I was able to leave the house on my own like a big boy yeah yep. but um, I had a curfew which was 10 p.m. I started going to open my comedy nights and I had to ask if I could go on in the first half. Oh yeah, because then you could, so because, you could get it back in so time. So I could get home curfew. in time for my curfew. And so, <laughs> you know, when you start doing open mics, like to be to be when it's a bucket pull or something like that and you're you're asking if you can go on early, um, it's a bit of like, well who the fuck does this guy think he is? Yeah, but, but luckily you know, literally. <laughs> when I'm explaining that I had to get home for my bail curfew, everyone thought it was hilarious and like they were like, Okay, that's that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah, the law is a pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What made you decide I want to pursue stand-up comedy. Was it like I'd have always wanted to do this or was it like 
something that triggered it. I'd always wanted to do it, but um, I thought I was I was too much of a pussy to give it a try. And I also didn't think I had anything funny to say. Mm. Um, like I tried writing like jokes in my phone, but um, they were they were terrible and mostly just like the same as like open micers when they're twenty, just like wank jokes and like just oh, you know. Yeah. And that, that's great you had the self-awareness to go, yeah. no one needs to hear <laughs> I mean, a lot of people don't. I saved, <laughs> yeah. I saved a lot of people from some <laughs> severe punishment of having to hear my shit joke ideas <laughs> back then. So I guess it had been bubbling away, but I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't think I had uh, anything really to talk about. So instead I started writing uh, like comedic TV pilots. So oh, I, I mean, that's... I would argue that that's kind of harder and mm. more time-consuming than stand-up. Yeah, so I started writing those and I pitched a few to the ABC and I had like, because they, they used to have like a, like a free like website on the ABC where you could just pitch unsolicited oh, material. Wow. I don't think that exists anymore. No, I don't think it would. <laughs> and so this guy actually called me up that we worked in the ABC comedy department and he was like, I read your scripts, really liked them, um, but we have something similar in pre-production. But he was like, look, here's a few ideas on if you want to get into comedy. One is um, create your own content. Just like mm-hmm. if you start doing like sketches and that kind of stuff, at some yeah. point, if they're getting lots of views, it's pretty hard yeah. for them to like say yeah. no to you. And the other thing he said was try stand-up comedy, which... Yeah, yeah. and then you do. <laughs> yeah, like, you're like, well, like, what else? Or he was like, or he was like uh, try and get a comedy, try and get a, a production company attached to your idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome that you got a, a call, like having had done no real <laughs> comedy writing at all, right. to then get a call from someone going, hey, yep. you've got promise of potential, here's some you know things that you could go do. Right. Some and actionable steps. Yeah. So I got some mates together and we started to shoot some content. Oh my god! So you actually started doing this? Yeah. Is it out somewhere? No. It's, oh it's, no! It's, 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 it's on my laptop. The reason. No, the, come on! You got to publish this. So the reason why I never released it is because it was a bit too close to home. It was a stupid idea at the time. Yeah. I created a three-part series for the web called "Dealing with Emotion." <laughs> It's about it's a stand up. It was a fake uh, documentary series about the private lives of drug dealers, <laughs> in which play in, in which I played an MDMA dealer t- named Tyson, where I'm like a clean freak, and like. So I'm like talking about how, you know, when you read the newspapers, they talk about how drug dealers don't care about you and they make drugs in disgusting, grimy conditions. And I'm like, you know, got gloves on. I'm like, can you see how clean this place is? Like, so anyway, I created this content and, but I was like, it's pretty dumb if I put this out there yeah. when I'm currently a drug dealer. But I was like, oh, if I ever get arrested for drugs, I could just say that I was researching a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> In my fucked up head at the time, I thought that, that'll, that'll help get me out of trouble. It's all all these drugs, all the mushrooms that I'm going. Yeah, you don't understand. It's for season it's, two. It's for comedy. <laughs> that would have broken out as like such a big story. Imagine if the ABC made something. Like yeah. That and then you got busted. That would be so funny. Okay, why did you decide to go? Hey, I'm going to make something that's actually the the drug thing instead of like. Oh, let's let's do a, a, something else. They say write what you know. I just I had so many, and I thought it was just so over the top. I don't know. It was stupid to do it yeah. while I was still an active drug dealer. I should have done it years later. But uh, <laughs> would you ever? But like this footage is still there, right? Absolutely, I've still got so, it. So you can? Could you still release it, or are you like this is actually garbage? <laughs> um, I I. I 
the reason I didn't fully release it was because it just it needed a little bit more editing that I never yeah. um, I didn't have the technical skills behind it and the guys that had shot it for me went overseas and so I've I've got it it's just in my head it's only about 70% of the way there yeah okay. and I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist so I was yeah. like unless it's 100% I don't want to put yeah. it out okay fair 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 alright so going back to you know your, your comedy journey was that the kind of thing that, you know that chat with the guy from the ABC that made you go alright stand up no, that that was when I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing stand up. Mm, um, so then I created the yeah. the web content yeah. because I was like, there's no way I could do stand up. But then when I went to prison and I had time to reflect on everything, I it was like when I asked myself, like, what what did you always want to do if you could have your time over again? Because it felt like I was dead. I felt like my I was my life was over, mm. and so. I guess it really clarified things for me. It was like, okay, well, if you could start it all over again, what would you have done? And the answer was stand-up. Yeah. It was like, it was like you're a pussy. You should have done it. <laughs> you're funny. You could have written yeah. jokes. You could have done it. You should do it. Get out and do it. And yeah. so uh, when I was in prison, so many strange and funny things would happen. And it was like I've just had all this material right yeah. in front of me yeah awesome so then like you know tell me about that when you were like your first gig on on stage and everything were you just straight up like prison jokes or did you actually try to avoid it for a little bit no i owned it straight away that was the first thing i talked about was prison yeah um but i had memorized all these jokes and so i didn't really perform it i just spoke the words and mm. i just motored through them and but i remember like the first 30 seconds of being on stage and i was so nervous yeah and I just start speaking and saying these things. And I'd been working for ages on writing like five minutes worth of jokes. And then you start to hear laughter for the first yeah. time. And yeah. you're like, holy shit, thank God. Because the first 30 seconds, people are just listening to you. Yeah. So they're yeah. not laughing because you haven't yeah. said any jokes yet. Yeah. yeah. But then you get to a joke, they laugh. And like immediately I was like, holy shit, this feels good. Mm. And so... So um, the first gig went really well then. first gig went great. Yes. Yeah, first gig went great. Better than I could have imagined. And I had so many um, open micers come up to me and they're like, dude, that was awesome. Like, keep coming back. Mm. And um, so then I went to an open mic the next night. But it was what I didn't realize was that it's mostly the same guy as you saw the night before. (laughs) (laughs) That blew my mind when I first started doing comedy. I was like, oh, okay, surely it's different people, you know, every Mm -hmm. single time. And at every different mic, Mm. there would also be different people. And then it's literally through the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's the same people showing up, doing the same material every time. So here I was on night two, ready to do my same five minutes. And all the guys had heard the same shit the night before. (laughs) You're like, why isn't this working? What the hell? Why? This killed last night. So I was like, fuck, okay, this is what it's like. So then uh, I started to notice that guys would not only like do the same jokes every night, but they do the same jokes that never worked every (laughs) night. And I'm like, that's insane behavior. Yeah. So what I started doing, because remember, I wasn't um, working a job at the time. Mm. Um, I was just at home. And so what I would do is I would do four open mics in a week and I would do a new five minutes 
every, every every time and every time whoa that's nuts but also how did the that that process work like were you finding like oh okay i'm killing every single time no um <laughs> but the strike so what i would find is i'd do five minutes with the jokes and maybe like three minutes of it would work and so I'd be Dude, like, that's a pretty good hit rate yeah it felt pretty I, good i don't even have that now <laughs> <laughs> i guess i had a lot of yeah at my, my first ideas of, I, I guess was a combination between jail stuff and other jokes that i've been thinking about that have been percolating in my brain for you know 20 years maybe and so i, ha- I had a lot of initial stuff that 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 was all right yeah did you watch comedy as well or would you have to go immediately back home after house arrest oh at the open uh, mics at the open mics yeah oh yeah yeah i'd always hang around to the very last minute when i knew i had oh, to like race home wow. so I'd, I, I wanted to hang around and and watch other comedians yeah so i want this to be my life i don't want yeah. to just come and do my five minutes and then yeah. bugger off were you committed to going i want to be a comedian yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. i think um something in me when i was locked up i just i felt like i had this weird moment where it didn't um i don't know how to describe it other than like it felt like i had finally realized i was living in a video game (laughs) (laughs) okay this is like yeah it was like i just i had this moment there was something in me was like felt like there was a there was something calling me like there was a path here Mm. if i was willing to just do the most insane thing which for me felt like okay if there's going back to your normal life and pretending like none of this happened and then there's the insane option which is getting on stage every night and saying hi i went to prison for drugs and just Mm. owning the shit out of it and i Mm. thought that's so crazy i bet it'll work yeah and it it kind of has right Mm. because like you know from that open mic which by the way that's so awesome that your first few open mics went as well as they did and that you managed to write that much material that quickly. That is kind of exceptional. That like doesn't happen with a lot of people. Um, I, I guess it just it felt like it was just there'd been such a build up to this point over time. Yeah. And you had matured and you had stuff to actually say. Flash forward a year, your entry you're doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival with an hour. Yeah within a year which is unheard of <laughs> well it was, it was slightly over a year it was like 14 months <laughs> still it's like unheard of to go and do your first melbourne which is like 22 22 or 23 shows in a row yeah and you'd kind of gone like you you'd applied to who was it um i forget whether some sort of law enforcement thing for special permission to actually go there that, as well they're just around the corner here um, oh, okay. it was the com- <laughs> um, community corrections yeah um, so i had to get permission from them to leave the state and then what was kind of your rationale behind... And I also wanted to keep them... I was like, maybe I shouldn't tell them that the show is called Jokes About the Time I Went to Prison. <laughs> like, They'll be like, he's enjoying this and, a little too much. Well, they already knew because uh, one of the one of my, ca- my, my case officer, my corrections officer, said that one of his colleagues had seen me at a show, I think maybe at the comedy store, and was like, um, I said, oh... <laughs> What do you think? And he was like, loved it. Absolutely loved it. So <laughs> it's just like, imagine if it went the other way. It's like, this guy sucks. I was, I've been so afraid. When I first started doing it, I thought um, that people are going to hate me doing jokes about this. I thought my family are going to hate me doing mm. jokes about this. I thought community corrections would hate. No one has ever, uh, everyone has seemed to get why I'm doing it, which yeah. is, it's my way of, I guess, processing what, um, my own mistakes I'm, most of my jokes are quite self-deprecating and so i guess it's just my way of talking about my life 
and I do it in a way which can make people laugh at it with me. Yeah. Right? And, and I, so I yeah. think there's also like a curiosity in it with the audience, right? Because like, again, you're in PR, so you really knew how to brand the show, jokes about the time I went to prison. Mm. Your content online is like you rate like prison food and everything as well. So yep. yeah, you've taken like complete ownership of it um, and ran with it. But now that, you know, you've kind of done your Melbourne and everything, um, now you're trying to do what's what's your new show called? No Andrew Dream. Hamilton doesn't mention prison. But but I mean Melbourne was crazy because I think in my head I had I was like, look, am I ready to go and do an hour show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival? Did you know that it was? Did you know like oh okay this is like a really big festival that's globally known or were you kind of just like ah oh, this is the thing everyone does? No, I, I knew it was massive, yeah. but I I had in my head that this it was a kind of a race between a race between uh, me being ready from a jokes and skill level to do an hour show mm. and me thinking that it's kind of cringe that I'm still doing jokes about the four months I did in prison like three years four years down the track Mm. so it was like it was a battle between do I have fire in the belly and passion about what I'm talking about versus am I am I ready from a skills level yeah so it's like kind of got to do it now because this happened to me recently and therefore it's more honest right yeah, now. Yeah, I was well. like, hopefully I can get by, by enough on my passion and the, and, and the fact that there's so much feeling in what I'm saying versus mm. are all the jokes good enough? And mm. I thought, I thought I am happy with where I'm at at this level right now to do the show. Mm. And I felt like I wouldn't, I, the jokes might be better in a year, but I might not feel as strongly about the show. Yeah, 100%. and so that was the ba- that was the battle I had in my head, and so I thought, look, let's let fate decide. I'll just try and apply for the festival. I got rejected by the festival for a festival managed venue, but then mm. I applied for every other room, and I got offered. Um, this small cocktail bar at 10.40 at night. Yeah, horrible time slot. <laughs> right? On Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I was the latest show in the entire festival. <laughs> and so here I was thinking that that was um, a bad thing, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because yeah. when people were out on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday and they're looking up they're like, oh, there's no other shows on other than there's some guy talking about prison. <laughs> Do you want to go see that? At, at 10.49, if people are still out because they've had a few wines, that's exactly what they want to exactly. go and see a show yeah. about, right? It, so. was, it was when I was there, it was packed. And the thing is, like, when a show is good, the word of mouth spreads about it and people go, you have to see this. So that's what happened. Uh, the w- word spread. I think also I knew, because obviously from my PR marketing background, I was like, if you're going to a comedy festival and no one's ever heard of you, and you have a show named, I don't know, Daffodil or something like that. Mm. What's the what, what's driving people to go see that? But I was like, if I call the show jokes about the time I went to prison, yep. people know exactly what they're getting. Exactly. And, and then so you deliver. <laughs> that, that show name sold more than half the tickets, mm, right? 100%. That, yeah, very clever. That All that risk ended up paying off like big time, right? You got... A, an, an actual festival managed venue at the very end. I did, yeah. And then you you got nominated as well. What I loved about your show and what kind of made it feel so personal when we watched it, and I feel like maybe this is just a comics thing that only I found, but the room was so small that you didn't have a green room. So you would walk <laughs> down the stairs and it would just be you standing there yeah. to, greeting Awkwardly. everyone like, hi, yeah. hi, hi. And then at the very end of the show, again, no green room, so you just, Stand at the back. I just shake everyone's hand. Thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely no green room. But I actually preferred like that 
was far more my vibe. And it was like this tiny little room with a like brick wall, which for yeah. a show about prison was quite claustrophobic. It kind of suited suited the vibe. It was like prison. Mm. (laughs) So everything worked out in your favour. Yeah. So, yeah. Obviously, you speak to a lot of people that go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival and, I mean, a lot of our friends had shit times. You know, people that, um, you know, they put all this work into a show and then no one turns up and all this kind of stuff can be very deflating. So um, I felt fortunate that anyone turned up. I kind of got gaslit by the festival because the first night I had five tickets sold Mm. and then 17 people showed up and bought tickets on the door. Oh, damn. So I'm like... So and, and that was such a hot show, and that was my first one. So I'm like, mm. this is gonna be amazing. Mm. Second night, I had four sold. I'm like, that's okay. People will buy yeah. tickets on my door. No one else turned oh, up. No. So then I did the show. To, I did the show to four people, and I was like, so I went from like 22 the first yeah. night to four the second night, and, I, and that's when I was like, okay, this festival is gonna be a roller coaster. Yeah. Because it feels like every night's your birthday party, and you don't know mm. if anyone's gonna turn up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a great analogy. <laughs> and you're just waiting there, like, oh, <laughs> anyone gonna come? Show up. What are my ticket sales? <laughs> Yeah, have any so, other people accepted? It's yeah. hard, man. So yeah, it's it's hard to not take it personally if um if if, if you put all this work in and then there's no tickets sold that that would I, I, yeah luckily that didn't happen to me and but it but like, it's crushing see, it, yeah. it would be soul crushing so yeah like festivals are a, a real emotional roller coaster but yeah. But there's like a lot of gratitude and everything that I'm hearing from your end as well, which is um, awesome. It was yeah. a bit, one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm so glad that I took a punt, that I backed myself and then I did it. And um, yeah, look, it's it's changed my life because uh, now I've got I've got management out of it. Yeah. I've, got, um, I, I've got far more self-belief and I guess um, I, I've started to build an audience beyond just Sydney. So... Yeah, there's, I guess, the, the, the beginning signs of a possible uh, career. I mean, that's what we, we're doing this for mm. is hope day, hopefully one day have a living out of it. And yeah. so now it feels like that that's a, a very strong possibility sometime in the near future, yeah. which is like, yeah. this is awesome because that's yeah. what I dreamt of when I was in Long Bay. That's so sick. <laughs> and you've even got like a, a book coming out, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what happened was before I started comedy, I was like, I think I've got a story here for a book. So I just started writing. I read a book by Stephen King about writing books. And it said, look, just get in the process of just writing a thousand words or two thousand words a day. So I, I wrote a thousand words a day. Jeez, about... So like I'd, whatever. I'd get up in the morning, I'd yeah. train, I'd have my coffee, I'd sit down and I would just write my book. Um, Whoa. And so every day I just write a thousand words. Some days it was hard, it took me a few hours. Some days mm. it would take me 45 minutes. Sometimes mm. the words just flowed. But I'd, even if the words flowed, I'd always stop at a thousand because I'm like, in, I don't want to be deflated by writing more and then not being able to write any the next day. I'm like, oh, oh, if I, I'm like, I, I'd, I'd build up some momentum and I'd be like, fuck, I'll, that means I'll just be able to hammer it the next day. That was a process I went through a thousand words a day and then 70 days later I had 70,000 words. Wow. And so the story was supposed to be about um, my time in drugs and then prison and then yeah. me redeeming myself. Yeah. And I was like, well, the story doesn't have a finish because I haven't done anything to redeem myself. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So that's when I parked the book. And then I started doing stand-up comedy and we've yeah. had this whole adventure, which yeah. I, I look back now and I'm like, okay, now we have a finish to the yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. So then because of all the media coverage I've, I've been getting, uh, I guess, about that journey from crime to comedy, mm-hmm. um, I had some publishers interested in talking to me about whether I would write a book. And I was like, well, <laughs> I've actually written 
Uh, well, 70,000 words is close to a full book anyway, but I was like, yeah. I, I feel like it's only half a story, so I need to go back and do a lot of editing. Mm. Anyway, that's the process I'm going through now is to finish the book. But I picked up a publisher, and now the book's going to come out in August um, next year, hopefully. Yeah, on you were saying Father's Day. Well, they wanted to come out for the, for the, for the Father's Day sales, yes. So hopefully they think... <laughs> That my story will uh, resonate with men. There's plenty of guys out there that have made uh, colossal fuck-ups of their life and then and then bounce back from it. I get messages like that all the time from people either on social media or at comedy shows where there's something about what I'm talking about that really strikes a chord with them. And, and that's really cool because, you know, if me getting on stage and saying my dumb jokes about my, my insane life can... Um, can help someone then uh that's that's a bonus above and beyond me just making them laugh in the yeah, room 100 percent, yeah and i love that it's also like father's day like hey dad here's, here's something <laughs> i think you'd like this guy went to prison yeah yeah oh you <laughs> should be my mushroom dealer <laughs> i get that a lot like even people say like uh when set up clips i remember uh reese as standout put up a clip mm. we put up a clip of uh, me and then he got a DM like, oh, that used to be my dealer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, gl- glad to see he's doing well now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get those messages like, we, we miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Come back. <laughs> um, and now you're kind of like um, in a journey where, you know, you've done all this prison stuff and you've like 100% owned it, but you're also doing stand-up now and doing jokes that are not about prison. Right. How's, so How's that going? So that's what I called the show, yeah, Andrew Hamilton doesn't mention prison because even though I haven't written that much of it yet, I was like, I have to. Isn't I, it? Are you doing Fringe? Yeah, I Isn't am. that next month? It's, like in, like, it's, like in, in, it's in three weeks. I've got, I've got half a show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was like, if I, if I call it Andrew Hamilton doesn't mention prison, that I throw myself in the deep end, which is usually where I, I excel. I was like, I want to do a work in progress show and I want to force myself to write stuff that isn't prison because... Uh, I mean, that's been a, a, an easy crutch and it was also made sense that I would try and put a cohesive show together that was all about that. But now I'm like, okay, now it's time for me to figure out what else I have to talk about, what else, what's going to be my voice um, beyond just the jail guy. Yeah, and then what, what kind of topics do you find that you're landing on or you're exploring at the moment? Um, well, I, I've got a new joke that I'm talking about, uh, ADHD and, and addiction. Yeah. So I think... Um, I probably will talk a bit about um, my background in PR. I mean, there's a lot of funny stuff from doing that for 10 years. Mm. Uh, I guess I, I haven't even tapped into me owning a pizza restaurant. That's funny. Uh, and the dog pizza. The dog That's pizza. Funny. I've also come from a pretty insane family. I think I've got a lot of stuff about um, dating. I think there's also there's things that I like. Uh, there's a world that I'm trying to explore at the moment, which is just the thought, the insane thoughts that you have that you never say out loud. I was on a plane last week flying back from Mel- uh, from Melbourne and I was flying just across like country Australia and I was looking down at this expanse of Australia and looking at how beautiful it was and then for some reason I thought you could bury a body here and <laughs> no one would ever find it <laughs> That's so, that's so, I mean, thank goodness you weren't in for murder. Like, oh my goodness. And I was thinking, like, why am I, like, why am I thinking that, right? <laughs> it's like, but it's so practical as yeah. well. You're yeah. like, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not wrong. So they're the kind of voices that you think you, you listen to in your head, like, wow, like, what, what is, what was the reason why I jumped to that? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no. Okay, that is a you thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you never think of that? <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the plane going, hey, where are the, where's the food? Where are the refreshments? <laughs> Looking out the window thinking about dead All bodies. Right. All right. Way to make me feel weird, Jenny. <laughs> no, that's very funny. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited for that journey. And I think it's also... Um, I think it's it's good self-awareness as well to realise, like, you know, there's the prison thing, but, you know, finding your voice outside of that as well. And then, you know, th- talking about, like, addiction and ADHD, it's, like, still kind of like that darker territory mm-hmm. as well. So it's still got, like, your persona and everything in it too. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an exciting world for me to, to play in now. Uh, I think that yeah, there's been guys that... I've done gigs with that have really helped give me confidence in the like at times when I thought I'm just the the prison comedian. They've gone, no, you're a comedian that's chosen to talk about prison. You yeah, can, you, you, your your joke writing shows yes. us like you can do you, you you can talk about anything else and yeah. you can write jokes about it. You just got to challenge yourself, and so yeah. that helps to give me confidence that um, yeah, it was just obviously the 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 thing. It made sense that that would be the first thing I talked about, but now it's time to park that and and have some fun with the rest of any other topics i can talk about <laughs> literally literally <laughs> anything else yeah <laughs> yeah are you doing a show for fringe have you got a name for it yet <laughs> yeah it's called chinese australian but it's like the same thing where you know you were saying that the freshness of prison and everything like a lot of these events that happened to me it's it's a show about like the stuff that happened to me in lockdown and actually it's a bit like yours in that it's about my rise to tiktok fame and yep. like instagram fame and whatever um, and it's it's a story about that with jokes peppered in there. But I'm like, this happened so long ago. I'm, I'm going to have to find ways and, you know, update it so that it's fresh to now. It's a, it's a process. I'm also still writing mine and trying to find an ending as well. And I'll probably try a few different ones. <laughs> well, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a non-jail hour and then I'll yeah. go back to jail after that. <laughs> 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 you know, like... <laughs> Just fucking with you. Yeah. We're going back now. We're going back. You've also got like a podcast as well, right? Where you chat to different people. Well, yeah, exactly. So the same the same reason why, um, you know, I feel very, very fortunate that I found comedy and I wouldn't have done that unless I went to prison. Uh, I wanted to talk to other people about how they've turned their life around after it went to shit. And so I have a podcast called Shit's Gone Sideways where I talk to people about uh, crisis points in their life and how they've grown from it. And so, I mean, a lot of the guys, um, particularly in my first episodes, were um, guys that have been to jail. I had John Killick as my first guest, who is he escaped from Silverwater Prison in 1999 when his girlfriend hijacked a helicopter. Oh, Jesus. And it landed in the yard and they escaped and he, he was on the run for 40 days. Holy crap. Yeah. 40 days is impressive. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, when you're, when you're the most famous faces in the country at yeah, the time. Yeah, and everyone's looking for you. Damn. Yeah. So uh, I've had a bunch of ex-cons, but then I've also had people that have escaped from religious cults like Jehovah's Witness. I've had people that have been in comas or uh, had cancer or people that have tried to kill themselves. Uh, what else? Um, then I've had comedians just talk about um, you know times when they're... they're uh, lost their job, all kinds of stuff. Just uh, the, the, the through line is crisis points and then how you've overcome it. Mm. And uh, I love doing it. And it's just so cool to uh, talk to people about these kind of real stories. And then I, it's, it's not a comedy podcast, but we do, you do find that there are, even in dark stories, there's, there's usually some humor mm. within it. Yeah, if anything, it's like in those dark times, you've got to find the, Absolutely. the light perspective. Yeah, like Chris Ryan and I, um, Chris was very generous in sharing her story 
of her experiences with postnatal depression. And we, some of the times we were talking about that, we were just in, in tears laughing so much yeah. because of like this, the, the raw emotion that when there's humour there, it, it just hits twice as hard. Mm. And how do you find some of these people like John Killick and stuff? Are you, do you just hit up their DMs? Um, so we're all part of a crim WhatsApp chat group. <laughs> <laughs> You get a sk- That's so funny. <laughs> what? Do you send memes to each other as well? Like, what's the, what's yeah. the banter? Yeah, just like anyone's about prison guards, like just some meme roasting them. We're like, lol. <laughs> Find your guests that way. That's so funny. How, so, do, you get, how do you... Does someone... Who adds you into it? Is someone just like, congratulations, you're out of jail. Here's the the day you get out, you get instantly added in. Yeah. <laughs> So some of it's been my independent research. Then I get like um, sometimes people will be like, oh, mate, if, you, if you've chatted to me, you should also chat to these guys. Oh. Um, I also just uh, steal off other, other <laughs> crime podcasts. <laughs> That's so funny. But it's also like it's not stealing because you're inviting them and you're going to ask different questions. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you, you look up any other true crime podcast that have had a chat to anyone in Sydney, I usually you you'll find that a lot of us have had the exact same panel of guests on, and now now oh. I, now I'm part of that uh, panel myself, so yeah. I, I get invited on to true crime podcast. So I was invited on to one of the biggest ones, I Catch Killers, which oh. is run by uh, a former detective named Gary Jubilant, and I was like, look, you really the the bar is getting quite low, Gary. If you're getting me on for a true crime podcast. But I think because they have such heavy chats, see, they wanted to be on to like oh, li- yeah. lighten the mood a, little, a bit. Yeah, a little yeah. lighter. Yeah, and, and so that was such a funny chat because I kept talking about my life of uh, mushrooms and crime and uh, <laughs> talking about like some of the good stuff. And so every now and then he'd, be, he'd have to say, and just to remember everyone, selling magic mushrooms is a crime. He kept having to do these PSAs That's like every so ten minutes. Funny, yeah, because watching your show, I mean. <laughs> Part of it that was so good was the parts where you spoke about the good parts of prison as well, like like being in the green jumpsuit and you're like, damn, I look good in I this. Look, <laughs> I look pretty cool. Pretty cool. Or like just watching Shawshank, we were sitting sharing M&Ms with your cellmate or exercising. There were just so many parts of it uh, that I found to be great because of where I was mentally and because like, yeah, when, when you're going through a dark time, other guys can have such an impact on cheering you up and I was very lucky that I was around some really um, decent uh, uh, guys that that helped me through the tough times because yeah I got lucky a lot of guys have horror stories about times in prison but uh, I got treated really well I think my, my what I was my charges were considered funny in the yard yeah, okay. Um, whereas if you had done something a little more intense. Oh, uh, if you're in there for any sex based crimes or um, being a police informant, anything like that, you need to, they get put in protection straight away because if they're in the main yard, uh, they'll be in a lot of trouble very quickly. Jeez. And uh, yeah, so like <laughs> the stuff that you did in prison, because my <laughs> perception of prison is basically just Shawshank, which also very funny, but that's literally what you watch as well. Yeah, that was on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, as, as what like inspiration for escaping like yeah I'm like scratching up my wall like a night having <laughs> yeah <laughs> poster. Um, but like uh, how accurate is Shawshank to you know what you actually experienced oh uh, totally totally different you yeah. know um, I mean look I, I think in terms of just that camaraderie among mm. among inmates I think that. 
That certainly rings true. Uh, I don't think that there's that that level of brutality among the prison guards that you see oh, in good. Shawshank, that's good. Um, okay. unless unless you really ask for it. But I mean, some of that stuff. I think you talk to guys back in like the seventies and eighties. That was absolutely the case. There's some really horrible, horrible stuff you hear about what prison guards would do to inmates. But these days, uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was in remand, which was like basically. You, you're in, I was in maximum security, so I was in there with in a yard of 80 guys at Long Bay, and about 30 of them were in there for murder, and I was in there for mushrooms. So <laughs> yeah, okay, very it is, different. You're in there with some pretty heavy, heavy dudes. A lot of yeah. guys are involved in kidnappings and robberies and organised crime, and I'm just there like you know some um, independent mushroom farmer from yeah. <laughs> Surrey Hills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I remember the first day in the yard at Long Bay this guy came up to me and he's like mate I know you and I was like no you don't mate like I didn't want to uh someone to mistake me for someone else Mm. and he's like mate I know you he's like you used to buy me and my missus beers at the Columbian whenever you won money on the pokey (laughs) and he was right I had and this guy ended up being one of the most connected guys in the yard at Long Bay and next thing you know I was vouched for so I was considered you know like like that they no one was going to mess with me mm. and then i got given like a kettle and a sandwich press and like i got hooked up with all the stuff yeah. so uh then i got like a, i had fresh eggs on my pillow oh. and, and they were like you, you couldn't buy those so like i was Whoa. getting like gifted those which and a fresh egg when you're in jail is a is a big thing yeah what are some of the other luxuries in jail i would buy uh, you, you you have this thing every week you can buy groceries called the buy up um where you get like you have like a um you know those like um high school exams that are like multiple choice and you mm. colour it in with a pencil, like one of those kind of forms mm-hmm. and you colour in all the groceries you want and you've got like a list of all the costs and you're allowed to spend up to $100. That's the max. Yeah. Uh, if you have loved ones putting money into your prison account. Oh, so it's got to be loved ones putting in yep. money. You can't do anything yourself to earn that? No. Oh, oh you know, sorry, you can. You can you can work a job, but you can't make up $100. I think the, yeah. the max in remand the guys were getting was maybe like $35 a week, maybe 40 for working like 30 hours. So yeah, you're damn. making like a dollar an hour. But even if you don't have a job in there, you get paid $17 a week just for being in prison. So uh, that's because um, they figure that if they have a situation where there's the haves and the have-nots, it's going to create tension. Mm. So they let even the guys who have no one putting money in their account can't have a few dollars to buy a couple yeah. of things because otherwise they're less likely to want to rob people. Mm, that makes sense. Okay, and what were some of the luxury items on this list? The the luxury item I always got every week was the Nescafe Blend 43. Because <laughs> what? That was the fan- <laughs> like the yeah, that's the fancy <laughs> coffee in jail. And that just made me feel so normal uh, to just have a couple of cups of that every day. Yeah. That was how it was like my morning ritual and I was so good. Um, then we also every Sunday uh, guys would chip in and buy uh, powdered eggs oh, okay. and spam and oh, okay. so you'd slice the spam and you'd cook it up on a hot plate yeah. and then we'd have spam and egg sandwiches and oh, it was like nice. our version of a bacon and egg roll yeah, yeah. and so like 10, 12 of us would all um, cook together yeah. and it just made it like a really nice uh, Sunday ritual that just helped you to have this sense of normality that like yeah, even in you're in jail, you can have some these these nice experiences. Yeah, this makes me really grateful for my normal eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, oh my, my god! <laughs> uh, what else? I mean, you had like things like 
Tim Tams on the buy-up. I mean, you Tim Tams is pretty good. Tim yeah. Tams were great. You could get these assorted packs of chi- boxes of chips. They were pretty good for like an afternoon snack. Mm. Uh, wheat, you could get cereals, wheat bix, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, noodles, like so you could get like a five-pack of Migarang for yeah. about five bucks. That was pretty good. There was like gin ramen, spicy cups of noodles, Ooh. which on a cold in a cold night on your cell makes a big difference yeah that stuff is so good mm. yeah because okay. because you, you you get served your dinner at like 2 p.m you get dinner at oh, 2 p.m but then <clears throat> so then what happens when like 6 p.m 7 p.m you have around? to hope uh, you have to either eat your dinner cold wait and have cold oh, dinner yeah. or um you have to have stuff on your buy-up to have noodles or things like that so it really makes oh. a big difference to have extra food so then what was like the meals every day do, do they give you breakfast as well they give you breakfast, which yeah. is like, like a, a plastic pack of some cereal, like yeah. cornflakes or okay. something like rice bubbles, things like that. Yeah. You get lunch at about 10, was it about 10 a.m.? 10, I can't remember, like 20 past 10 was lunch. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then you go back to your cell for lock-in at 2 o'clock, and that's when your dinner's waiting in your cell because wow. the guys that run the kitchen are inmates, so they need to get oh. locked up as well. Oh, so, man. so you're having dinner. You're having dinner at two p.m. because you eat it while it's hot. Yeah. Oh mm. man, that's brutal. What was like an? What did an average day look like for you? So you get kicked out of your cell at like eight a.m. or maybe slightly earlier, seven forty-five. Then you'd be um, out in the yard. You might um, you'd have a couple of coffee, cups of coffee. You'd walk just. You just do laps. You just walk mm. around the yard chatting to your mates about anything just like um what was on tv the night before oh yeah you'd chat about again. <laughs> you'd chat about yeah shawshank again you'd talk, see, talk about um what commercials were funny or annoying you know <laughs> I, you remember there was this like um there's this oil um like a extra virgin olive oil called squeaky gate and oh, okay. i remember like hearing guys in the yard every day they'd go well shut my squeaky gate <laughs> and like you know, everyone would laugh because like everyone was watching the same ads. yeah yeah <laughs> so funny like oh. guys talking about ads <laughs> well or you talk about um whether we're going to train that day what kind of training we do you talk about oh have you seen that dave's been having like extra coffees lately <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. Yeah, okay. Mundane Or, or things you do when you get out. Uh, the guys would talk to me like, oh, mate, you know, can I buy your, your numbers off you for your, if you're not going to sell drugs anymore? Can, you know, whatever. Like, it's yeah. just all kinds of stupid chat. And, yeah, uh, yeah you just do laps all day. Um, wow. So until about 10.30, then uh, lunch would come. And then um, the showers were out in the yard. So you'd have a shower at yeah. some stage before, um, before, t- before lock-in. Mm. But yeah, I would just train. Sometimes I'd play cards. You get on the phone. There's phones in in the wing in in the yard where you're allowed to have a six minute phone call. So you oh, okay. you, you have up to ten of your family and friends on your dialing list, and so you yeah. pick up the phone. You just press the number, yeah. and it calls them. Mm. And uh, yeah, when you get to about the five minute mark, it goes beep, and then at six oh, minutes you get you cut off. And that's because. Jeez. That's because, you know, there's only like eight phones in the yard and 80 guys. So yeah, okay. you'll have a six-minute phone call. Then you can't call back for 10 minutes. So it's, yeah. it's to free it up for other people mm. to use the phone. And so they'd get a call, right? And it'd be like this random number from some uh, rerouting yeah, system. Yeah, because I was going to go, what if they miss it? Then do you lose Well, your... you leave a voicemail or whatever. Yeah, okay. they, they know that you're trying to call. So then maybe they'll answer them. So you just, 
yeah, if it, if it starts ringing and they don't pick up after about five, you usually hang up before it goes to voicemail because yeah. then you can still call another person. Oh. So you learn these tricks. Yeah. So then you don't waste your Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you learn these tricks. But um, it would be so on their end, it would be like, you were receiving a call from a correction center. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. if you don't want to have this call, hang up now, whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. and then it'd be like, hey, how you doing? So they always know yeah. who's calling, unless okay. unless there's someone really dodgy. In this case, like, which which one of my loved ones and friends that's in prison is calling me now? But for, <laughs> for all my mates, they knew exactly who, it was, yeah. who the call was coming from. And then who were you calling most of the time? Um, I spoke to my mum and dad every day. Oh, wow. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. so that was, that was really nice. Actually, this whole experience brought us a lot closer. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still living with them now, so thank God, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but not under house arrest. Not under house arrest. No, it's my own choice. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. <laughs> now it's the section called clapbacks, where we clap back against the mean comments we've gotten. Um, Andrew, what have you got? Some of these, are, uh, this one is actually one of my favourites because uh, if I'm going to get online hate, I want uh, at least be funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so. Sometimes people will uh, take a shot at me, but they're being funny, in which case I can't really hate them. So this guy was named Potato Cakes. Ugh. Potato Cakes with a Z, so Potato Cakes 69. <laughs> oh, and it's one of these guys with like a meme in his profile that his, his sledge was, you deserve a life sentence for those shit jokes. <laughs> 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 You know, so I shared that one myself because yeah. I was like, and "Look, if you're gonna if you're gonna sledge me, be funny." Because that yeah. that was one of my favorites. That was actually that's actually that's quite a roast. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like those ones. But then, um, so I do this comedy series uh, called Yeah Mad TV, where I just basically do like dad jokes with other people on the internet, and. Um, so there's a lot of the ones that like I think bother me the most are the ones that uh, attack me physically. Yeah, because right? yeah, it's irrelevant to the content of what you're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I don't really if people I don't really get that much hate about me doing jokes about prison. I never I've never copped that. But there's ones particularly when I got back from Melbourne, so like when we started shooting before Melbourne, I was a lot skinnier, but because I spent <laughs> 30 days like as you saw, drinking yeah. drinking a million beers and eating burgers every night, I like put on like a bunch of kilos. So by the time we shot again, I was much bigger. Yeah. And so some of these comments are like, um, he has the he has the body of a bouncer and the head of a baby. I thought oh. that one. <laughs> I like that one because I mean it's such a, it's such a. Weird but funny description of me. Uh, I've never really thought about my head, <laughs> me having the head of a baby. I mean, I guess having the head of a bouncer is not is is kind of a compliment. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was there was ones about my weight which which were annoying me. Um, like, how did Andrew get so fat so quickly? <laughs> so to whoever said that, look, I think uh, yes. Firstly, go and try and do comedy for a month at a comedy festival late at night. You may also blow out in weight, but also. Uh, I think you know when you watch um, you, you see actors talk about how like for a certain role they have to like gain a heap of weight oh really yeah 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 I was like maybe maybe I'm the guy I, I can be a consultant 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is how you do it really quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about rapid weight gain. Yeah, yeah. No body suits. I'm no method home. acting. This is it. <laughs> well, now I'm trying to do the opposite. And because I'm in the middle of wrapping up my job to focus on comedy and writing the book. And yeah. so I'm also going to train my ass off. So hopefully I could go back to being ripped real quick. In yeah. which case I can be like, I'm the body transformation yeah. expert. If you want to both, lose weight as well. Both ways, right? <laughs> which is like... Um, because you see, there's all these memes about Christian Bale about the. Oh the, yeah, the machine is the, right. The, they're like, tell him, tell him you look like Christian Bale, but don't tell him what movie because there's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's ones of him like from like Batman, The Machinist, and also the one where he played Dick Cheney. I think it's just called Dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, where yeah, he's when, like fat, jacked, and ri- and like yeah. gaunt. Yeah, you're all three. So of them. maybe I can be like, yeah, the, <laughs> I can be doing dramatic weight changes like Christian Bale. <laughs> I could just see like um, people um, on Yeah Mad um, screenshotting you and going, "Which era is he?" In the moment? <laughs> yeah, I could be the new. I can be the new Christian Bale yeah. man. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I pulled up some comments as well. Yeah, are um, these are these recent or were this just from your so gold this mine? Is, uh, this is just, I, I for this podcast I had to create a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> you did so many of us. Yeah, I'm like, okay, these are the ones about my appearance. This is the one about my race. This is the ones about me not being funny um so the ones i picked today mm. are um so i did one about i did a sponsored tiktok for coles and it was to promote the coles hot cross buns and it was it was literally like here's three ways to eat a hot cross bun right great and then someone went bloody hell are you on something or is that your normal personality <laughs> <laughs> talking about hot cross buns <laughs> have, have they was it your personality any different than it is in normally the, all the other I videos? I mean, the thing is, it's just edited to make it look like I speak non-stop because that's how videos work, right? Yeah, but like it's just, it's also consistent with all your other videos, right? Yeah, right, so, so yeah. <laughs> you think I want something now? Yeah. <laughs> Keep scrolling. Yeah, this is my personality and I get paid a lot for it. Um, the other one... I, I've, I've seen like with your... Uh, one thing I liked about when you do sponsored videos is like it's still consistent with your like personality of the videos you do normally like it's oh, just it's, it doesn't doesn't feel super salesy which i guess is the idea of them like yeah, of a good one yeah. at least because the thing is like well i mean people on the internet are so smart and we've been like my generation and the generation below have grown up with being like very internet literate so the moment you know that someone mm. is selling something mm. to you you go turn off no yep. i want to make it go away so it's like well how do you make people continue watching this the whole way well you got to make it entertaining and make it like the rest of your content as well absolutely <laughs> yeah otherwise um it's a double burn because the video doesn't get as much views or engagement mm-hmm. as perhaps the person who's paying you wants but mm-hmm. also then it also you, your audience don't have a great experience yeah right? exactly mm. yeah um the next one i got was so i did a i i, I rag on sydney because i live here mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so um a comment that i got i've was, seen some of these yep. yeah yeah was i thought you hated sydney you focus on it a lot jealous much karen <laughs> <laughs> I think people have the assumption that because I've done the Melbourne Comedy Festival that I hate Mel that I'm from Melbourne and that I hate Sydney or that because I do so much content from Sydney I therefore by default must be from Melbourne. 
also, like, are they not realizing that, like, you're a comedian? Like, this is comedy content. Like, yeah, exactly, around. right? <laughs> I don't actually think any of these thoughts. <laughs> what was the one that happened with uh, Australia Post with you? Oh, yeah. What? Dude, that one got real weird. My mum my started um, to message me because she got scared and concerned about where it was going. So I did a video just basically going, Australia Post needs to get its shit together a bit and yeah. pick up its game, which is, by the way, not a groundbreaking opinion. I think a lot <laughs> of people share this one. Right. Um, and then, um, yeah, I was just saying things like you get the little card, um, you know, instead of them delivering it to your door, their hours are, you know, frustrating for someone that works full time and whatnot. Um, and then, yeah, I got some real, but I got the Daily Mail yeah, or something. Yeah, but wasn't that like, like way, way after you dropped the yeah, video. Yeah, like, it was yeah, true actually. I made that video not too long after the pandemic and they released their article this year. So at least a whole <laughs> year after going oh this this girl's hot take on Australia Post. Yeah, well, what was it like influencer roast or like social media person roast Australia Post but doesn't mention that you're a comedian? Yeah, not at all, right? <laughs> it was ridiculous and also uh, it was at a time where it was like post covid and everyone was like um, you know, getting pissed off and stuff about their delivery. So it was timely. But then if you post it, if you have that article like a year after, then it's just a bit like... Who would have thought that the Daily Mail would have reckless journalism? <laughs> Who would have thought? They've... they've um, so it was so wild. When they originally put the story out about my arrest, yeah. the story was like accused um, from um, pizza man to party drug king, right? was the yeah. headline. Yeah. And then... They got the alliteration there. <laughs> and then it proceeded to talk about my arrest for drug crimes for about 25% of the article. Then the rest of it talked about how good my restaurant was. <laughs> and they even mentioned that I spent spare time feeding or volunteering with the homeless. And I was like, <laughs> so my sister, I spoke to my sister, she's like, tell me the truth. Did you write this article yourself? <laughs> because it seemed like a PR, it seemed yeah. like a PR article. Like, yes, he went to prison for drugs, but... <laughs> Great guy. <laughs> Great business. <laughs> Delicious and pizza. I, I was so glad that story came out because guys still catch wind of things in prison. So that kind of like verified that like what I was saying in jail was true, mm. right? That I was in there for mushrooms. And yeah. I even there was one prison guard that showed me like when I was working in this factory, the screen. He's like, is this you? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, sick. <laughs> Are there times where you think that you cop is there certain content that you post where you'll cop more hate or is there um times of year when you cop more hate is there anything where you're like oh wow this is this is actually a bit different at this time it depends on the cultural trends happening at the mm. time like i spoke to he huang about this on our episode mm. but um women get targeted more on online by just, far just by far by the fact they're women and then also yep. people of color also just get um, attacked more online mm-hmm. so yeah we get both <laughs> mm. um and over the pandemic because there was such a sentiment against um you know chinese people and like just and, and not even just chinese people but just like asians in general were copying so much yeah and that's what my show is about as well um we just got just like so many comments that i got were like that were like oh go and drink bat soup or whatever. Just like ridiculous Fuck stuff. That. Okay, I didn't even think of that. That's yeah. crazy. So over the pandemic, it was definitely race stuff, but then Squid Game came out and solved everything for Asians. Holy shit. <laughs> and then... Um, <laughs> that is 
fucking wild. <laughs> that was like the PR exercise. Yeah, honest, like, <laughs> honestly, yeah. We're cool again, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you love this show. Anyway. Holy shit. Um, and then, so I still get that, like, um, sometimes, like, race stuff. I also get, if it's a comedy clip, like, especially of me doing stand-up, it'll, there's always going to be stuff, like, not funny, when do the jokes start, like, just that kind of classic sort of stuff. Um, and then if it's anything that shows any part of like my body or whatever, or even my face, I'll always get criticized a lot for the way I look. So sometimes it's like your eyes or your nose or your teeth, or I did, I did a sponsored ad for, um, the like period underwear. Cause I was like, I need cash right now. And then, um, the, the part of the requirements was you have to be shown wearing the underwear and they sent me some packs and I'm like, Oh fuck. All right. So then I had to show myself wearing it. And the, the comments on it were debating like what my body type was and whether I was like thin or like how my butt looked in it. So yeah, it's, it's all kinds of different stuff. Most of the time, if you could track down the people that are making these insane comments, particularly about like appearance, and and you looked at them, yeah, none of these people are supermodels, you know. Yeah, no. Let's see. You probably have a baby head as well. Yeah. <laughs> without the body of a bouncer. Yeah, without you the know? body of a bouncer, you just got a baby head. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna wrap up the pod now, mm-hmm. and to close the pod, I I ask these same two questions mm-hmm. to everyone. So the first is. Um, what's the greatest lesson you think you've learnt from like a mentor or a teacher? Well, I think that given uh, how turbulent the last few years of my life have been, uh, and that's kind of shift my perspective a bit on, on what I value in life, I think um, my dad is probably the guy I would, I would think of um, because... He's always had this message that that happiness in life is about just being content, you know? It's about finding whatever that level is that that you feel content. And I think now I'm at a point in my life where, um, yeah, I I am so grateful for all the things that I have. I have family and friends and I have my health and I have this opportunity to do comedy that I am content. And you don't have to have... Uh, millions of dollars and all this kind of stuff to do that you just have to be happy within your own skin and, and enjoy the, the the trajectory the journey that you're on and and so that's something which I guess I didn't really fully appreciate when I was younger and and now I do more because of um, the fact that I have screwed up and I've had a chance to just really reflect on what what are the what are the things in life that are really worth celebrating mm, love that okay um, before I ask the final question, um, what are your plugs? Have you got anything coming up? What are your socials? Uh, so my socials, Instagram, I'm Andrew Hamilton Comedy, and in, in TikTok, I'm Andrew uh, Or otherwise, you can see me around. I'm <laughs> out gigging a lot. <laughs> you do gig a lot, yeah, love it. Okay, uh, final question: How yes. do you like your peanut butter, smooth or crunchy? Crunchy, always. Oh, yeah, and that is something you can get on the buy up in <laughs> yeah. prison, right? <laughs> So I had I had that and I had Vegemite and those two uh, on a cold day some some crunchy peanut butter toast was amazing with a nice Nescafe blend (laughs) forty. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Andrew. That's been awesome. Thanks, Jenny.